One of the things that, uh, again, working with kids and youth, you, you do, you use your words in different ways to sort of um, um, give instruction. You use your words in different way to explain games. Even some of the games you play require words. And so most of you would have played the game called Chinese Whispers. Um, and, and the thing is that the concept of this game is that you start off with a phrase, the dog ran down the road. And that message gets passed on maybe 10 people and whispers in their ear and, and, and because of mishearing or sometimes, again, working with youth, some of the words are, are deliberately changed along the way. So you kind of go, how does it get to this? Because it goes from the dog ran down to the road to the elephant likes having a swim. And I'm going, what happened there to do that? Sometimes it's intentional. People change words. Sometimes people just can't hear and go, I think they said this. And so, so games like that, if the words aren't shared properly, it kind of doesn't, you don't get to the, the close, close repetition of the phrase. And I suppose that can be the same in the way that we live in the world. Like sometimes the words that we use, the Chinese whispers that we use can pass on the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Sometimes then people hear our words and focus on one part of our words and, and go, Hey, do you know what this person said? Um, and like sometimes people are strongly misquoted in life saying, they'll say, I'm not saying this. And that person will go, I'm going to drop out the first bit of the quote and I'm going to say, they said this. They said that this person is, is a, a robber. And, and, and what they said was that I'm not saying that they're a robber. And so we, we, words become this really important thing. And today we're going to be looking at not just James 3, 1 to 10. We're going to go through most of chapter 3 and, and, and chapter 4 because James kind of sticks on this theme of our words and what we say. And so we're going to be try and rush through this a little bit and there's going to be a lot of scripture thrown up on it. But the great thing is most of you have read chapter 3 because that was this week's reading, and then next week you'll get to catch up on, on, on verses from chapter 4. And so this is going to be great as we jump into this, but you would have noticed from your reading this week and from what Helen's just read there, there is a, I suppose, a harshness in what James is saying, which means that there is an obvious problem in the church at the time that is causing James to, to speak about it. If there was no problem, James would have been going, hey, you're doing great, guys, thumbs up, high fives, like pat on the back, all that kind of stuff. There was an issue there with people using their tongues in a way that was bringing about destruction. And he was saying, do you know what? The, the last verse that Helen read this morning goes, hey, this is not meant to be the case. This is not meant to be the way that we do things. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And um, uh, there was an American novelist, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who said, words so innocent and powerless as they are standing in a dictionary, but how potent and evil they become in the hands of someone who knows how to combine them. And, and that's part of the problem in our world is that the people that know how to put good words together can sway the audience, can move people in a certain direction. And, and so we have politicians who are able to give eloquent speeches and put things together, and yet their character doesn't match the words that they are using. We, we even look back in history and we look, oh, that was a great speech but that person was an adulterer. And, and the thing is, their speech overshadows their, their character. And, and so sometimes the intent behind the words is something that we need to take into uh, um, a consideration. But words can be evil and destructive. Um, and, and we see it 
in in our workplaces. We see it in our schools. Like you see people that um, are bullying it. And the thing is, you don't even have to say bad words. You just have to say them in a bad tone. And 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 to to kind of imply something. And so you can destroy people's lives. Um, and, the, and the old saying, "Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me." Well, it's been proven over again. That's not true. Um, often our, our bones will heal, but sometimes people carry burdens of things that were said to them throughout their entire lives, and it impacts the way that they live their lives. And so we need to be aware of, of the words. Um, and, and when we think about it, not only do we have to be encouraging and life-giving with the words we have, but we need to realize that that is exactly what God does. Um, um, he was literally spoke the world into existence with a word. Um, that's how powerful the words of God are. And Psalm 33, 9 says, For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Now, some of your parents are going, you know what? That's the verse I want my kids to read and all my employees to read. I spoke and it came to be, I commanded and it stood firm. Um, the thing is, we're not God. God can do that. Um, obviously, our kids know that we're not God and, and they're not going to listen to us that way. But words can be powerful. Words have meaning. And an ill-timed or perfectly timed word spoken to another can impact them forever. And and that's the thing. Like, I've seen, I've, I've done both. I've, I've been in times in my life where I've, I've just, and, and again, I give credit to God when I've said the right thing. I've said that thing that has been encouraging to someone and, and I found out years later, hey, when you said that to me, that really, I'm going, I don't even remember saying that and, and God must have just used me. I was the vessel and God spoke through me. But there are other times when I've said that thing where, and you go, I'm going to regret. So, and, and people will bring that up years later. I remember when you said that about me and I remember that and I go, oh, I did say that. And, 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 and I probably even went through phases where I went, I'm going to try and justify that. Well, I was, only, I was only a joke or I was only just doing this, but obviously that person has taken, has great hurt over that. And so we can impact people in, in, a, in a great way. Um, and, and this might have been some of what James was getting to in the, in the book of James in chapter 3 and 4 because, again, and I've talk, spoken a bit with the youth about this on Friday night a few times, but the Bible, how it's written today, is not the way that James would have written it. There's no chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5. There is one letter rolled up in a scroll. And we've, we've sort of broken up into verses and chapters to make it easy for us to get around and read it and, and all find different things. They would have been in a position where they kind of knew it. Oh, you mean um, fifth paragraph down, um, this is what he says here. They would have read it so many times and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, But this section of speaking about the tongue and its impact and how it leads to different behaviours and how we praise God and curse others is, is it's probably the biggest, biggest section in the book of James. Um, and so James is, is probably, I guess I said before, he's focused on an issue within the church. And, and so I want to just jump in, first of all, talking about taming the tongue. And James begins this section by making a point about the judgment teachers and preachers will incur because of their positions. Um, and um, we have people that stand in front of pulpits these days who do not speak the word of God. And they will speak things that are um, good. They are maybe moral in the world's eyes. Go out and do some good works. But remember what we said, talked about last week, faith without works is dead. 
both are needed. We need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which guides us and empowers us onto good works. Both of those things. It's not just like a moral imperative. Um, we have people that stand in the pulpit who actually actively speak against God's word because they go, well, you can throw that bit out. We don't need to follow that. You don't need to do this. You can do this. And so we we actually need to hold to God's word and, and proclaim it clearly. Um, and so, yeah, James starts off with that. Um, and then he follows on with that to challenge the rest of the church uh, because he says, well, it says the words are powerful. And of, of course, words are the primary medium through which teachers teach and preachers preach. And, and maybe James is just trying to acknowledge just how serious the situation is by revealing the, the weight of responsibility he carries and others carry when they use their tongues. But we look at verse 2, it says, We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body or be in control. Okay, now just... Just before one even goes, well, that's me. I'm, I'm the perfect man or perfect woman. Okay, in chapter 4, we talk about being humble. Okay, so if you think you're the perfect man, you've missed that point later on. So just a heads up, don't, don't go down that path too much. But James is actually saying that, do you know what? If we could control our tongues, we'd be following God in fullness and completeness and we, we would have it all together. But he's saying that we have a struggle controlling our tongues. Um, all of us have said things we wish we could take back or change because even though the tongue is such a small part of our bodies, it can have immeasurable impact. And James goes on to talk about a number of different ways, saying the, the bridle in the horse's mouth can control the whole horse. Now, for some of you, you go, oh, I'd hop on a horse and go, no, nah, I'm too scared to control the horse and pull it up. And, but that's... I've watched the cowboy movies. That's what they do. They like they they pull the bridle this way, pull it this way. They they make the horse stop. They they thrash it to make it go faster. And and so all those things are controlled just through the mouth of the horse. He talked about the rudder and and how it controls the direction of the ship. Um and and it can be said when you're rudderless in life, you kind of you feel like you're floating wherever the current will take you. But the rudder will actually help control you in spite of the wind, in spite of the current. And then he talks about a small fire um, and, and, and basically how destructive a small fire can become. All of these things are ultimately under the control or will of something else. It's, it's good to remind that we, we do have a role to play in all this. We have a responsibility over our words, our tongues, and the choice to use them for the profit or destruction of God's kingdom. And what is the potential for disaster here? Why is it such a big deal? Well, in reading that, those verses, think about all the ways that the tongue is described in one verse. It's a, it's a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It's set among our members. So, like, it's, it's kind of in place there. It can stain the whole body. Um, this one member has the ability to stain and pollute all other members of the body. Setting on fire the entire course of life, which shows the tongue's ability to spread um, evil beyond just the individual and literally to everything in its sphere of influence. Set on fire by hell itself. And what James is saying, that the tongue has the ability to unleash hell on others. Again, that, that list is not an easy list to sit there and go, oh, that's a nice reading for today. I'll 
packed it up and like it's it's saying that hey there is there's a real risk there's a real warning about how we use our tongue um and 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 the point that james is trying to make is getting clearer and clearer that no human has been able to tame the tame the tongue in james 3 um uh 7 i think it says with it we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in his likeness in the, in the likeness of God. For the, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. It, it's, it seems strange to me that you can sort of declare how great God is and then look at his creation, naming the us, and then bring it down and, and destroy it by the words that we use. When we curse others and then sing praises out of the sound mouth, it sends the wrong message to others. Um, and, and worst of all, it reminds us of our inherent sinful nature. Yes, we are new creations when we come to Christ. Yes, we are being sanctified. And yes, God will bring us through trial and suffering all the way to perfection. But our words often remind us in very painful ways just how rotten and awful we can be to one another. We don't like being reminded that. We want that verse saying, hey, like everything is butterflies and everything is like ice cream and everything is chocolate and all, and like all, all, it's all, everything's all good. And here James has been very direct to saying, your tongues are causing damage to the church. Your tongues are joining, doing damage to ones who maybe are at a point of hearing the gospel. Your tongues are doing damage even to yourself by the way that you speak. And as he says in verse 10, he says, this should not be the case. This should not be the way. James then transitions right now in, in verses um, 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 14 to, to 18. He starts talking about two different kinds of wisdom. Uh, picking up at verses, first of all, verses 14 and 16. But if you harbor bitter, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, uh, from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and ever evil practice. And the thing is, like, James is spot on here because he's talking about a wisdom that we actually encourage in our world. Hey, it's all about you. Get the things that you want. Hey, if someone else has got something, oh, you need to pursue that as well and, and make your life about getting the things that other people have so you have everything that you want. When we are selfishly ambitious, it is earthly wisdom. It is unspiritual and even demonic. But then we look at verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. So when we hear that phrase, good fruit, we sort of connect that back to Philippians and we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So like when we have, earth, when we have heavenly wisdom in our life, like all of a sudden the end result is that we are reproducing God's character in us. It talks about being pure and then peace-loving. And so all of a sudden our motives are corrected. Um, and Because this is the thing. Like Now, uh, feel free to put your hand up on this. Have you ever said something that when you've been really meaning something else, like maybe your tone is sort of really going, um, oh, it's great to see you cleaned your room. Okay, um, uh, it may be something that you've said to your husband or wife. It may be something that you've said to your kids. It might be something that you've said to that workmate. And they, the thing is, 
you might say it in a way where they're totally oblivious to it. Like they, you're really making this kind of sarcastic remark and, but you're, you're really saying, oh, hey, you're a great worker. No, you're not. And, and so the thing is, well, that's not pure. That's not, that's not coming from a place which is even peace loving. It's not being considerate. And so there is a wisdom that all of a sudden James is saying, hey, the tongue is destructive and we shouldn't be that case. And he starts working to way saying, if we're going to use earthly wisdom to try and change us, it's not going to work. And so we actually need a wisdom that is above us. We, we need that wisdom coming down. It's really interesting because we're jumping ahead to cut for next week, but James chapter 5 talks about our need for wisdom and asking for it. And so Right now he's saying there is an earthly wisdom that is available to us and it produces, it produces um, purity, it produces peace, it produces us being considerate or gracious with others. It allows us to be submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. And even that submissiveness is not allowing someone else to control you, but is actually taking time to consider others and their needs more than your own. So if you wanted to connect a verse to that, I would go back to, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbours as you love yourself. And the important thing about that verse, it, it talks about you need to love yourself and, and how you love yourself, you love others. And so the, the, even that, because that's a whole other sermon which we're not going to get onto today, but it's important that we love ourselves well, well enough so that we can love others to, to the best of our ability. And, the, and like even we want to be in a place where when we want to bless others the way that we want to be blessed. Now, if we go, I don't want to be blessed at all, then we don't bless others at all. Like, I don't have a problem saying I, I like getting really good gifts. I like having something really special done. But at the same time, I should be one of doing that the same way to others. And so James he, he finishes this, this section in, in um, chapter 3 talking about this wisdom. Now, it's all connected. So sort of don't sort of finish chapter 3 and go, okay, what lesson can I learn? James is not putting chapter 4 in there. James is continuing his, his discussion with the people in Jerusalem. And so he comes to the start of chapter 4, and I want to actually title this as an antidote for ugliness. Now, what I'm not talking about here is how you look, okay? So I'm not talking about plastic surgery or Botox or, or whatever else. I'm not talking about how we physically look, but the ugliness of our hearts. And so James, as he moves through chapter 4, he says, hey, there is a way that we can change our insides which will affect what comes out of us. And so in James 4, 1 and 3, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desire that battle within you? Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is what this, that passage feels like to me. James is actually reaching through the Bible and grabbing me by the collar and going, bang, 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 bang. And just sort of, I, I want you to make sense of this. And, and again, you've got to remember his audience. He's speaking to the church in Jerusalem and he says, like, they are fighting and they're quarreling about stuff. But he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, I don't think, the church was murdering each other. But again, Jesus spoke about when you are angry with someone in your heart, it's like you have murdered them. 
And so the church in, in Jerusalem was, was bearing grudges. They were, there was stuff in their relationship that was causing damage to each other because they were all wanting what we wanted. I want what I want and I want it now. Now, what does that sound like? A child. It sounds like a child. Now, the thing is, when we say that, when we go, this is what I want and I want it now, we make we fluff it up a bit so people don't think we're a child. But deep down, that's the attitude that we've got. I want this. I want this to happen now. And, and, and like, do you know what? Some of my prayers, that's how they sound to God. God, I want this and I want it now. Again, I use big fluffy words to try and trick God. God, just being a bit smarter than me, doesn't get tricked by it. And he goes, you know what, Keith, right now you're acting like a baby in faith. You're not acting like someone who's growing in faith. Now, sometimes I get that pretty quickly. Sometimes I act like a child for too long a period of time. And so we need to, so this is, this is how James starts off chapter 4. And then he, he brings it down in chapter um, uh, verse 4 again. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Again, that you're adulterous people. He actually references Old Testament where he talks about the people of Israel who often would choose the religions and faith of the world around them and would cheat on God with that. When, when, when we choose the world, when we choose what the world wants and the world's ways, the world's ways of thinking, we are actually saying, God, there is a different way that I'm going to get the things that I want. And we are saying, God, I choose someone else or something else in place of you. Now, going back to Ten Commandments, what's the first one? Or, or there is one God and, and he is one. And it says there is, there is the God. There is no one else. No one else gets put in his place. And so James is telling the church in Jerusalem, saying, you are cheating on God. When you put something else in its place, you are cheating on God. When we put something else in God's place, whether that's a person, whether that's a job, whether that's things, whether that's just me getting the things that I want in life, when that place is in in number one, if it's me in number one, if I'm going, I'm the God in my life, we are cheating on God. That's what we're doing. And James is making that point to the church in Jerusalem. So he started chapter 4. You imagine actually sitting through this sermon, like if he actually did the whole lot in one hit, I'm going, I'm going, I think I need to take a break and go to the toilet. I don't think I'm going to wait for morning tea this morning. I think I want to go now. But James is, is, is bringing the church to a certain point. And we find this in verse 7. Um, and first uh, seven and eight says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, again, like even that, that verse, wash your hands, you sinners. Okay, didn't need to say that, James. I already feel convicted enough. And then he goes, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here is James going, I'm going, to add, I'm going to make sure you know exactly who you are and exactly what you need. Um, and so he's been really clear with the church. 
that and but he starts it off with we need to submit ourselves to God and we need to go do you know what God I, I don't have the wisdom I need I'm actually following something else other than you God my tongue is out of control what do I what can I do well God I need you to be in control I'm going to I'm going to invite you in I'm going to let you be Lord in my life as I said maybe when I first became a Christian I'm going to wash my hands now again this is symbolic it's not this is not like, okay, James is inviting him over dinner and go, okay, before you have dinner, wash your hands. He's saying, let's remove all the filth that we find in our life. Let's remove the sin in our life. And, and again, like going back to the Old Testament, we look at the, the book of Psalms and David says, investigate my heart, find any wicked way in me. It's a great place to start when we come to God. Say, God, hey, do you know what? I think I'm pretty top-notch, but just in case I've missed anything, can you show me any areas where... I might be being a bit disobedient, where my attitude may might be a little bit on the nose. Now, the thing is, what I've found for myself when I pray that prayer, God is ready to go. He doesn't, God is never one saying, do you know what, Keith, today or over the past six months or over the past year, you have been this close to perfect. I can't fault you. Like, you're so awesome. Like, um, like yeah, never had that response from God ever. Not once. Now, again, if you get that response from God, let me know. I, I, I want to emulate your life. But that's been me. But the thing is, when I find that God, and God has sort of said, oh, it might be something really obvious. Okay? You shouldn't be stealing money from your parents. Okay, well, I can, I'll correct that. I'll stop doing that, confess that, pay money back if I need to. But sometimes the really obvious things, it becomes the, the, the smaller things that we kind of hide, cover, push into the corner of our lives. Hey, Keith, that attitude you've got, it might be an attitude about people, everyone at church or one person at church. It could be someone in your family. It could be someone that you've, you've dealt with. That's not a really good attitude to have. But, but God, have you seen all the things that they've done to make me think that? Yeah, I have. And I've seen all the things that you've done that could make me think in a certain way, but I love and show grace and mercy to you anyway. Yeah, but God, and, and so it goes on to the point where I'm going, you know what, I've got to, I've got to correct that attitude. I've got to tr- correct that, the way that I think about that person or that situation. So we wash our hands, we purify our hearts. This becomes the beginning of the antidote to all this ugliness. And then James brings it to a, an end in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. The word exalt means to lift up or raise up. And it can be so true in the arguments that we have in our lives. They stem from a place where we want something. We have a hole that needs to be filled. We want to be heard more than someone else. We, we want to be right more than someone else. And, 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 and so we will adamantly fight our cause on, on certain things. And sometimes we'll try and be smart or funny or maybe maybe we want to sort of show we know what's going on because of our wealth or our influence or we might want to be sort of um, change who we are and, and whatever the case, we will often use our words to try and accomplish this for ourselves. We want wholeness, peace and contentment and yet somehow ironically we cause so much destruction when we elevate ourselves up. God actually flips it around and says, no, you humble yourself. You realize that you don't know everything. You, you need to come to a point, one, 
first and foremost that I'm God is right and and I'm the one that should be listened to. But even you'll come across in certain situations that if we're humble, we have the ability to hear other people. Maybe maybe our pride doesn't allow us to. If we are humble, that we can get past our preconceived ideas. Because sometimes our hurt, our experiences, even our sin can influence the way that we think of someone else. Because of a sin that might be in our lives, we watch someone else go off and do something going, oh, they are going to gossip or they are going to do this or they are going to do the wrong thing. And, 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 and do you know why we say it? Because if I was in their position, that's what I'd be doing. And so we judge them through the, the lens that we're judging ourselves. But God is the only true judge of thoughts, motives and intentions of others. And, and in our humility, sometimes God is able to speak to us and, and, and sort of say, hey, maybe it's not what you think. Maybe, maybe you think because you're right all the time that like you, you're missing what God is trying to show you. And so God sort of, he starts to deal with this ugliness. But then James takes it a step further. And I'm, I'm titled this next se- it's a section in, in from James 13 onwards, Telling God What to Do. Now, none of you here would, would ever be so bold to tell God what to do. Like sometimes we're, we're sneaky about that too. Hey, God, would you consider doing this? And I'm going to pray about it lots. Oh, God, hey, how about, just hear me out, God, because this it's a really good plan and, and I, I'm going to give you all the benefits. There's only a few negatives, and I know you've got to do a lot of the plan, but if you would, I'd be really, I'd be really thankful. We can even get to the point where we're telling God what to do because we're actually failing to include, include God in our plans at all. I'm going to live my life, and God is that person that comes and fixes up um, the problem that comes about when it arises. God, I only want you to fix my problem so I can keep going on my direction, my goals, my life, my vision for my life. And so we're not considering God at all in our plans. We see that in, in verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go on to this and, and that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, again, I'm not saying that we make plans for life and, and do all those kinds of things, but do you ask God before you do little things, before you do big things? Is God part of, of the plan in, in establishing where you go in life? Or even more the point, and we, we see this um, uh, later, oh, I see this later on in James um, 14, 15, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Jumping back to the book of Proverbs, you see a verse actually about this as well. So verse 3 in in chapter 16 of Proverbs says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now, some of you go, awesome. I'm going to get the plans. I'm going to write them all down saying, God, here is plan A, plan B, plan C. Prefer plan A, happy with plan B, we'll live with plan C. Nothing else, those ones. No, that's not what the, the proverb writer is saying here because we then find in, later in that same chapter, in his heart a man plans his course, 
but the Lord determines his steps. So we can do this one of two ways. We can actually go to God, here is plan A, B and C, and God will look at them all and go, oh, you put a lot of work into these. We should put work into other things more than this. But anyway, like, I mean, put a lot of work into these. And, okay, problem with plan A is, let me just rewrite it for you. And it looks like that. And then, oh, plan B, again, some good thought. I'm going to rewrite that. And then plan C, oh, let me... And all of a sudden, you look at plan A, B, and C, and like, but God, they're all exactly the same now, and this is what you want me to do with my life. And God goes, you got it. You're not as slow as the other guy that I did this with. Like, God says he determines our steps so that's one way we can we can commit our plans to god let god sort of redesign them for our life and and trust in them for us or we can even do something a bit bolder and we've spoken about this before at church the idea of saying god here's my life you give me your plans i'm I'm not i'm not going to get to the point where i'm going to even make suggestion to you god I'm going to trust that you will build my life with what is best for me, one, to serve you, but also to receive your blessing as well. See, God, God knows. God is sovereign and he watches over us from morning to evening. And so even in this, God is sort of, James is sort of pointing out this way of, of going, hey, we've got to get the center point of our life right so that what flows out of it, our words, our wisdom, it comes from a place that is, is whole and pure. And because and when we think about when we think about the tongue, death and life are truly in the power of the tongue. And we, as we said, we can praise God, we can curse our neighbour. Um, and, and the thing is, it gets even worse in our modern day because there's so many more ways that we can use our words. We can send a text message. We can send put something on on social media. Um, we can um, sometimes we share some of our thoughts that we shouldn't share. Maybe God hasn't had time to clean that thought process, and, and we put it out there. And and the thing is, you say something to somebody, yeah, we hurt them, and we can ask for forgiveness and make that right. You put something on Facebook, it's there for eternity. Well, not eternity. God comes back because I don't think Facebook's going to be in heaven. So, because um, I don't, I don't think God really needs it. Um, so he'll probably kind of put a, 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 the kibosh on that one. But the we, but the thing is, we can say some stuff that can be really hurtful. That people can read at any point in time and be hurt again and again and again. And so we need more, even more wisdom to, in today's mediums of how we can share different things. To top it all off, we live in a world that we, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that we are like whinge and ninjas. We are so good at whinging about things. It's like, it's not even second nature. I reckon it's almost first nature now. It's, it gets to the point that the first thing we do in our week, oh, we complain about something. It can be, oh, I'm going to complain about my family. I'm going to complain about my work. I'm going to complain about this. I'm going to complain about, oh, do you know what? I had to wait an extra three minutes in line because that person forgot to get a bottle of orange juice and had to walk all the way back to the, and then they had come back. And I lost three minutes of my life. And then I went home and watched TV for four hours, but I lost three minutes of my life lining up at the grocery store. And we whinge about that. I'm going, is that what God intended when he wanted us to use our, our tongues for good things, to use our words to elevate his kingdom? I think that's 
I think that's been a, a generic problem for the church in the last probably four decades. Is the church has become known for its negativity. Because we are really quick to speak out against things. And, I, and again, there, I, there is a line here that we go, we, we've got to talk about the things that are wrong, but we don't speak about the things that are a blessing in this world. We'll talk about everything that's happening in the news and the world around us, and we don't talk about God's wonderful creation, or we don't talk about this good thing, or it seems so infrequent that we do. And, and I'm going, do we, do we believe the phrase that God is good? Okay, I'm not sure you do. Okay, do we believe in the phrase that God is good? We, we, and that's the thing, if God is good and we see God working around us all the time, shouldn't our words reflect that truth? Oh, God, I saw your sunrise this morning. God, I thank you for my family. God, I thank you that you've provided for my needs just this today. Oh, God, thank you for answering this prayer. God, thank you for this. God, you know what? I was just reading this in the Bible. You've blown my mind again. And again, I challenge you to, to monitor your conversation and go, hey, even after church today, what, what is your conversation going to be like? Oh, what went wrong for you this week? da 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 and, and we need to get to the point where we're saying, God, you are so awesome. And, 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 and even then getting to the point of let's get on to mission where we start talking to others about Jesus Christ. I like Jimmy sort of grabbed that moment this week to talk to, to, to Christine and go, hey, and, and to do that and, and others that we have that opportunity to do, to, uh, do that with. That becomes important for us as well as we, as we use our words for God's kingdom and for God's glory. We need to monitor to that. The challenge right at the end of um, James chapter 1, um, and this is not on the slides, but yeah, and you'll read it this week if you're reading through last verse in, in James chapter 4, I mean. It says, um, it, it says, if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, it is sin. So if we know the words that we should be saying, the gospel message we should be sharing, expressing words of love and encouragement to others, and we don't do it, James made it really clear. Even that's a sin. But I didn't do anything wrong. But you didn't do the right thing as well. And so James leaves us with that challenge right at the end of chapter 4, saying, hey, we need to do, to do the good that we've been asked to do, to, to step out in faith, to share the words that we've been asked to share. Uh, American poet Emily Dickinson said, a word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. Let our words come to life this week and, and set them free to, to give life to others. Let's take a moment to pray. Oh, Lord, please help us to transform our words into messengers of hope and reconciliation. Help us to resist when we are tempted to speak, to speak ill of others. And I said, give us the strength to share the hope of Jesus with all that we can. We pray this in your name. Amen.